Hey, you guys can go ahead and be seated. Um, glad you guys are here. If you're with us for the first time, um, know this. Know we are so thankful that you're here with us. We really mean that from the bottom of our heart. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in this week. If you were, if you were with us last week, um, you know that last week it was, uh, it was, it was bleak, right? It was a rough week. Uh, in, our, in our passage, we talked about broken cars and uh, the horrid nature of a grocery list. Um, that's just kind of where we were. Uh, if you weren't here, it's okay. Uh, we can get you caught up really quickly with our passage last week in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3. It was clear that we live in a broken world. Uh, we saw a list of over 20 things in our passage from last week that show uh, that this world is broken. It was our horrid grocery list. But as we talked about towards the end of last week, uh, we can see that the world is broken all around us, but we're not people without hope. Right? Over the past several weeks, uh, we've been looking, we've been kind of going through these different rounds. You know, we had the, re- the first round, uh, it was, it was, it was the, the good worker and the bad worker. Round two, we had the honorable worker and the dishonorable worker. And last week, it was kind of like the first half of round three, um, except it wasn't a worker. It was the evidence of those living in a broken world and what their lives often look like. And this week, it's the second half of round three, but it's the evidence of those who live in a broken world, but those who live with the hope of the gospel. You should see that uh, when we're going to see what should happen start to follow Jesus, right? How will they start to live their life in a new way, in a different way? Uh, to, say it, uh, to say it differently, you know, last week we saw what happens when people follow the world. This week we see what happens when people follow Christ. Uh, seeing what, what does a life look like that follows Jesus? Like, what do they actually do? So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17 today. And while you're turning there, um, I want to remind you of what life was like about 20 years ago. Okay, back in the day, right, when we wanted to go somewhere, we used these big, you know, fold-up maps uh, to get directions. We actually would pay attention to the street names uh, and landmarks, and people actually, you know, we, we understood what people meant when you said go north on 75 and east on 56. Uh, and then this new, this great new invention came out. It was called MapQuest. Okay? So before you left your house, you would actually write, get out a piece of paper and write down the directions turn by turn to go where you wanted to go. If it was a long trip, you would then print out the directions. You had two pages worth of, worth of directions. And then if you got lost, well, you had to stop. And you had to ask directions. Uh, you would actually walk into like a gas station and you would talk to someone, like a real person, face to face. You would look at them in the eye and you would have to ask for directions. Uh, and then pr- technology, it progressed. Uh, we, now we don't pay attention to street names anymore. Uh, we follow an arrow on the screen, right? And typically that arrow is pretty reliable. Well, a few years ago when I was traveling uh, to India... You know, it took me back to before, 19, the, before the 1990s, uh, but it did not go quite the same as I had remembered. We were in a remote city, uh, we were at the end of our trip, and it was time to start heading back home. Now my friend, <laughs> who was mi- with me, he was already very, very, very nervous traveling, just in general. I mean, this was his first trip ever outside of the United States. Just to give you an idea of his nervousness, uh, he slightly panicked every time we would go through a security check in the airport. He would start sweating. He would start like nervously bouncing in the check in the security shot in the security line. So once we made it 
through the empty line in the, green, the small Greensboro airport. He was eventually able to calm himself down, uh, and then we proceeded to a very nervous uh, 30 hours of flying, 10 hours on a hot, no AC, overnight bus ride, and a five-hour, extremely bumpy car ride into our remote village. And not to mention, uh, my friend, he had been sick all week long because the only thing he had had that week was Gatorade, rice, and granola bars. So he wasn't feeling that great. Uh, It was quite the the step of faith for our first-time traveler, uh, but God really grew him that week. Um, And and the great great friend that I am, I I found it very entertaining. Uh, All week long, uh, I laughed a lot, um, but let's just say he, my friend, he was very, very eager to get home. And on our last day in the country, uh, we woke up very early in the morning to begin our long trip back home. Uh, We had a four-hour drive ahead of us. Uh, to make an afternoon flight in a small city, which might I add, this small city uh, inside of the heart of India, uh, there was only one flight out that week to this city, to our next city that we had to get to. And this next, this next city that we had to get to, there were only three flights out of that into our then major airport that would get us home. So if we missed our first flight, uh, we would have about an eight to ten hour drive, very bumpy, hot ride, um, onto our next flight with a really good chance that we were not going to actually make that flight, ultimately delaying us a few days. So let's just say, making that flight, it was a really big deal, especially for my friend. So we woke up, and we had a 4 p.m. flight. The only thing we had to do that day was to get on that airplane. That was it. So my friend, he'd been very slow all week long trying to wake up, uh, this, this morning, this specific morning, he jumped right out of bed. He was eager. He was ready to go, uh, ready to drive to that airport. So per the norm in the culture, uh, we were supposed to be picked up at 9 a.m. Our driver showed up a couple hours late. Um, so uh, we had, when he finally arrived, um, we asked him, he said, do you know how to get to the airport? He smiled. He said, yes, 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 I know how to get to the airport. Uh, and then he proceeded to go and talk to the front desk um, at our hotel uh, and talked to them for about 30 minutes to figure out how to get to the airport. My friend, um, he was sweating quite a bit at this point. Uh, so then we make our way to the car and a second native Indian, uh, a complete stranger to our driver, he jumps into the passenger seat of our car. And then I asked what he was doing and he said, this, my friend, he is going to get us to the airport. So we're in the car, and my, my poor friend at this point, I mean, he is nervously panicked. You know, his, he's got his face down in the bag, uh, taking deep breaths while, you know, both of his knees are kind of bouncing in the car. Um, and again, I just find it completely hilarious, just laughing hysterically. And then we proceed on to our adventure to the airport. Um, and about an hour into this drive, we get stuck on a standstill traffic because uh, apparently it was an election year. Again, I have no clue why this was, uh, why this stopped traffic where we were, we had no GPS, no map, and all the, ma- all the main roads to get us to the airport, they were completely closed. So while we're in standstill traffic, my new native friend, our new friend who was getting us to the airport, um, he doesn't speak a bit of English. He jumps out of the car and he seems to be very panicked uh, and proceeds to ask three cars for new directions. And it is very clear at this point that this guy, he has absolutely no clue where to go. And my friend, again, uh, it is a complete understatement to say that he was sweating and taking very deep breaths uh, because he was just not doing well. All the while, 
doing the only thing, again, I know what to do in our predicament is to laugh. Apparently, uh, it was considered culturally appropriate uh, that if you didn't know directions, to just make up directions. That's what you did. If you don't know, you just make up directions and they'll figure it out eventually. So our new friend, he knew this about this culture, knowing that you have to actually ask multiple people for directions. And so, you know, if two matched up, if you ask three people for directions, if two matched up and one didn't go with the other two, then you follow the other two. That's just what you did. Uh, So for the next four hours, our new friend, I kid you not, proceeded about every 15 minutes to ask three people for new directions. Um, We eventually made it to the airport. Uh, Thankfully, the the airplane, per the norm, again, it did not leave on time, so we made it home. Um, It was a very long trip. We had a lot of fun. All that to say, when you're going somewhere, we need to know who to follow. We need to have uh, what, who, we, who we are following, it all matters. Typically, following MapQuest and the GPS, they're known to be reliable. But then, some things, as you just heard, they are far less reliable. Uh, I think we can all agree that is, this is true of every life. Right? This, is, this is true of how we do. We follow good influences. We want to be good followers. We're following good influences, but we also have bad influences. We see this in leadership, right? If, 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 you're go- if you're going somewhere, people will follow. If someone doesn't know where they're going, it's not very smart to follow them. So having a, a clear direction and a history of reliability uh, when you're trying to figure out who to follow, it's, 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 it's all very important. So for today, one of the claims that we as Christians make, something we say often, is that we follow Jesus, Right? When we follow Jesus, you're considered a disciple of Jesus. So very simply put, disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. They learn from Jesus. They do what he says. Jesus becomes their model to follow. Okay? So something else we're going to see in the Bible, and and Paul kind of reiterates this throughout 2 Timothy, is that we are to multiply ourselves. We talked about this extensively over the past several weeks. And we've titled this series, Multiply. And the idea is that everybody is a multiplier. So we have to ask, as we've been asking, what are we multiplying? Knowing that discipleship is the process of how we multiply followers of Jesus. And so there are two. Uh, today, there's two different vantage points that we're going to look at from discipleship. There's uh, those who, the one who's discipling, who's actually being the, the, the leader. Uh, and then there's the other who's, being the, one, who's the one being discipled. Uh, so we've got the mentee and the mentor. Um, you know, we've got, there's, there's, there's leaders and there's followers. So we know that uh, Paul has been discipling, mentoring, leading Timothy. That's kind of where Second Timothy has been going. It's showing us that Timothy has been following Paul to ensure us that the gospel doesn't stop with Timothy, but that it passes through Timothy. And so today, our, our, we're going to see those two focuses of how Paul coached Timothy and how Paul led Timothy, and how Timothy specifically followed. And so here's our big idea for today. Um, We follow Jesus by following godly examples and following God's Word. Okay? We follow Jesus by following godly examples and following God's Word. There's a lot of following here. So Paul is essentially saying to Timothy, follow me as I follow Jesus. Okay? Follow me as I follow Christ. That's how he's discipling Timothy. So Paul learned directly from Jesus. He got, he got a direct word from Jesus, and now Paul is then passing it on. He passed it on, what he learned to Timothy. And we see 
in, in, the, in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul, we just, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's where we get that language. He's doing the same thing to Timothy here. So last week in verses 1 through 10, we could say that that was a clear example. That's what we do not follow. That's what, you know, we do not follow verses 1 through, to, through 10. And this week, we have an example of what to follow. And as I said, there are two specific categories here, and those are our two points for today. I've just, I try to keep this really simple. I've taken our big idea and I've broken it down into two points. Number one, we follow Jesus by following godly examples. And number two, we follow Jesus by following God's word. So, um, again, uh, we're going to approach today primarily as the one who is following. We're us as the mentee, the one being coached, because that's the perspective that we see from this passage. We see the perspective that Timothy is, is following Paul. But we also need to look at it from the perspective as the one being followed, asking the question, can we say in good, in good confidence, follow me as I follow Christ? It's something that we all need to consider and reflect on. Can we say that? To turn the same concept as the one discipling, leading, we could say, you know, kind of flipping it on its head, we could say discipleship is modeling the Word and teaching the Word. Really simple. Discipleship is modeling the Word and teaching the Word. So that's where we're going. Typically, we read this all at once, uh, but we've broken this down into two separate sections. Our first point is going to be our first section of Scripture, and our second point is going to fall under our first, second section of, sec, section of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, look up at verse 10 to 14 in chapter 3 and follow along with me. This is what it says. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystria, which persecutions I endure, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil and people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. So we see, we see immediately here in verse 10, he's, con, he's contrasting uh, what Timothy said last week, what we said last week, um, he, he's contrasting this week with last week, of those that follow the world. Right? Last week we saw those who follow the world that love themselves and love their pleasures rather than following uh, our first point, we follow Jesus by following godly examples. So Paul is saying, don't be like them, don't be like the world, you're different because we follow Christ. He's reminding us, reminding him, saying, you've watched me, you've learned from me, you've spent time with me, you've watched how I'm different from the world. And then let's, let's kind of look at some of these specifics of what he said about how he followed him. He kind of says, you know, he says, my, like he's, he said, you followed all these different things in Paul's life. He says in verse 10, he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering. So, um, Paul, his life has been drastically changed by the gospel, and he's now affirming that Timothy, has, his life has also been changed by that. He's saying, you have done this. I've seen this in your life. And so I want to walk through this list kind of like we did last week and touch on a few things that come up. It's going to feel a little bit, you know, kind of like it did last week all over the place, but uh, we have some consistency here because it all follows under the idea of following a godly example. So uh, we could say this list is what we should look for in a mentor. 
we have a good list here. It's someone we can follow. I'll try and group them together uh, to help these help make a little bit more consistent. But let's look at our first one. He says, "You followed my teaching." We have to ask, what has Paul taught? If you look at every one of Paul's letters, uh, they're all centered around Jesus and the gospel. That's our first criteria for someone to follow. They follow Christ and they point us to Christ through the way that they teach. Right? When they, if they, they, we want to follow people that are teaching people, teaching the gospel, teaching Christ. And then he says, the next one he says, my conduct. Basically saying, what Timothy has believed, just like Paul, it has changed his behavior, his conduct, his behavior. Uh, Paul can look at Timothy and faithfully say, your actions, Timothy, your actions, they match up with what you believe. You have evidence in your life the Spirit of God is working inside of you, that God is working and moving in your life. It's changing your actions. This is so important, important for, some, for us when we're looking for people to follow. Uh, we have to ask, does their, does their life match up with what they teach, with what they proclaim? We have a, you know, there's, a plethora, there's a plethora of people we can follow, tons of people that can say uh, the right words, teach what is right, but does their life, does their life actually match up with what they're teaching? Do they, do they pass the fruit test, so to speak? Um, if they claim to be an apple tree, does their fruit taste like an apple? Right? We need to ask the same question about our own lives. Do our lives match up with what we believe to be true, with what we're teaching, with what we're proclaiming? And listen, this is really important. Um, nobody is perfect. Nobody can achieve perfection. Only Christ was able to do that. But we have to ask, are we growing? Can we look back and see a difference? In every area of our life, are we looking and seeing God working and moving and growing us and changing us and making us more like himself? You know, this, is, this life is a long, growing process. It's a journey. And I can say it this way. Um, a changed life is the evidence that God is working in our life. Changed life is the evidence that God is working in our life. All right, let's look at the next one. Let's keep going. He says, Timothy has followed his aim. So we must ask, what is his aim? Listen to what Paul says uh, to the Ephesians elders in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is what he says. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And then we're going to see here what's his purpose. He goes on to say, To testify to the grace of God. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God. Paul's aim, Paul's purpose was to glorify God, to share the gospel with others, to testify, to share with, about who Christ was, to make Jesus famous. That was Paul's aim, to make Christ famous. Paul's aim was not to make his own name famous, but to make the name of Jesus famous. So I want to spend a little bit more time on this one than the others uh, because of how important I think this is. Because I think this is a question that every human asks. Right? They ask the question, why am I here? Right? What's my purpose? What's, what's my aim in life? Uh, and I would argue that every single person on earth was made for a purpose. Right? They either know what their purpose is or they don't. That's the difference. We're all made for a purpose. We either know it or we don't. And oftentimes what happens, you know, though, you know, People can have a very small view of purpose, and we all can fall into this, Christian or not Christian. We start to believe our ultimate purpose in life are things like status, or having a lot of money, or being successful, or contributing to society, or, ha or maybe our jobs or stability. Or maybe it could even be things like 
uh, having a family or finding a spouse or getting married um, or just having as much fun as possible. Like these can be the things that we could think that are uh, that are our ultimate purpose. But whatever it is, all of these things they all fall short. All of them, and I would argue, and I think, and so does Paul, that they're never completely satisfying. Maybe they are for a season, um, for a time, but at some point, these things that we that we think are are the ultimate purpose. These things, the sparkle will start to soon go away. You know, you may never achieve your dream job, and if you do, like most people, it will start to become like work. Uh, maybe it become monotonous. Maybe your spouse at some point, that spouse that you've always dreamed of, at some point will wrong you. Whatever it is, these things, they will not completely satisfy us because we live in a broken world. Things are never perfect. In my opinion, one of the scariest things for a person uh, is that they think their life is so good that they don't need God. Uh, And this is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, God created us with a purpose. And for a purpose, our ultimate purpose in life is to glorify the God that made us. This is what God created us to do. And one of the greatest ways we can glorify God, and what Paul speaks of often, is to make God famous, to make God's name great, to proclaim the gospel to others. And so, just a simple question. The people we're following, what is their purpose, their aim? Is their sole purpose to make their name great? or to make the name of Jesus great? What about us? Like, what area of our life is seeking to make our own name great rather than the name of Christ? This is is a really good uh, motivation question for us. Like, what area of our life is seeking to make our own name great rather than Christ? The simple shift of purpose, this, this shift of purpose, it can make a really huge difference in every single area of our life. But here's one example. Just think about how we interact with others, okay? If our aim, if our purpose is to make ourselves great rather than Christ, then we treat others with that same expectation, that they, that they also need to make us great. We would never actually say that. Maybe, maybe, maybe we would. Maybe some would. But if someone is mean to you and they're not making your name great, then you just write them off or we, give, we just kind of give up on them. But... If our aim is to make Jesus great, we can't kick people to the curb because they're image bearers that need Christ. Their lives are just in need as the gospel as ours are. Because reconciliation, reconciling the relationship, it's a must so that the name of Christ can be made great. There's so much to say here, um, but just about our purpose and our aim uh, and what God has, how God has gifted us and and, and working in our lives towards a, a specific purpose, but we need to keep moving. So let's look at the next four quickly. He says, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Okay, all four of those, all four of these are uh, virtues that are the heart of the Christian life. Paul is saying that by God's grace, he was able to model those four things for Timothy. These things were helpful for him, and he also observed them in Timothy's life. Faith, patience, love, steadfastness, all these things we need to look for in a good mentor and someone to follow. And then uh, this last one, finally, he says, my persecutions and sufferings. Now this one, uh, persecutions and sufferings, this, this is actually a reoccurring theme that is happening throughout this letter. Uh, look, at, look at verses 11 thir- through 13, right after the, last, uh, the list we just worked through. 
He says, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium in Lystra, which persecutions I endure, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, Paul clearly thinks this is a big deal. And of all the things in this list that he hoped to pass on to Timothy, that he would see Timothy do, he actually emphasized this one the most. This one got the most, uh, most time on the screen, I guess. He wrote more about this one than anything else. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one as well. And I think this is important for us uh, here today. Paul is reminding us that we will have trials in this life, that we'll have difficulties, and that we'll have hardship. He's reminding us that the Christian life is not free of this. The Christian life does not promise us that life will be easier. In fact, in verse 12, uh, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who will be persecuted? All who desire to live a godly life. You know what's interesting here about this? Do you know what's not guaranteed? Earthly physical blessings. We're not, we are guaranteed without a doubt, we're guaranteed spiritual blessings and eternal blessings, but no Christian is guaranteed uh, earthly material blessings. But do, you, do we know what the Christian, every Christian is guaranteed? Persecutions and suffering. He said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's, that sounds like a guarantee to me, you know. Um, and continue to think on this, one of the, we've, we've talked about this. One of the greatest testimonies to authentic Christianity, Christianity is a testimony to the outside, and a testimony to the outside world uh, that encourages the ter- church is a testimony of how we go through trials and difficulty. And I'm not saying we don't cry because we do, right? We have and we will. I'm not saying we won't be sad because the, the, uh, these emotions are real. I'm also saying we will never doubt uh, we're never going to question. We're never going to wonder what in the world's going on because we're human. These things are human, part of our humanness. But what I am saying is that when we stand in the midst of difficulty, trials, and hardship, and persecution in our broken world and say to God, God, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't know why this is happening, why this is so hard, but I trust you. I trust you because you're my maker. You're my sustainer. You're my healer, my satisfaction, my source of hope. And you know what? Sometimes that's, that's really hard to say. Um, but we need to proclaim it to ourselves over and over and over again. We need to proclaim it to each other, right? We need, we need to preach it to ourselves. We need to believe this until it's in our bones that we believe it to be true. And for, and for us specifically here today, New City Church, I think about this season we're in as a brand new church plant, you know, trying to get off the ground, wanting to see God really move um, and we all just moved here, you know, within the past three or four months, uh, trying to figure out what in the world life looks like here in Tampa, right? Uh, trying to find jobs and schools, making financial, like meeting ends financially, you know, don't know hardly anybody, trying to make friends, learn the city, you know, it can feel lonely and isolating and uncomfortable at times and possibly disheartening. But yet, I think about this time in the life of our church, uh, and I can't help but know and believe in great faith. And I know this to be true, true deep down in my soul, that God is growing in us 
Uh, God is growing in New City Church. God is growing in us a great dependence on the Lord. We're, we're being grown and stretched in ways that will prove to be so fruitful. I, I really believe that. This season is without a doubt, this is going to be a season that marks us. This is going to be a season that strengthens us as a church. And this, is a, this season is forcing us to put our hands out and say, God, we depend on you. God, we need you. And not on human excellence. Right? What we're trying to do can't be done in human power. And I love this. We should, we should work hard. We should do everything with excellence, with the greatest effort we can give. But we can't build our church on human excellence and human power because without a doubt, drawing from this idea of suffering, a church built under the foundation of human excellence and human power will be crushed in the face of suffering. Rather, rather we must depend on the Savior that was crushed and suffered at the cross. Any other foundation, this will crumble. We will crumble. I said this a, a few weeks ago. Um, we are mimicking our maker in our hardships and struggles. Jesus went to the cross, and we too, we have a daily cross to bear. Yet, it can be hard. It can be trying. It can be difficult. It can look, you know, but as I look out over each of, each of us, each of you, I can say in great confidence, God is, God is working in us. God is preparing us. God is deepening our well. This is so important. I, the challenges that we go through now, the difficulties, the, the way that we deal with them now, it sets the foundation for the people that follow behind us. It helps us to help others. Believe me. Trust me on this. If you're having a hard time, the thing you may want the least right now is probably the thing you need the most. Don't run from the cross. Run to the cross. Don't isolate yourself from community. Ingrain your life in community. Don't fill your mind with empty chatter. Fill your mind with truth. Hear me on this. If you're struggling in this season, don't miss, don't miss this opportunity to cling to and find the sweetness of God's Word. Don't miss the opportunity to find the sweetness of community and the sweetness of the cross. When, I, when people look around and we see someone going through a difficult time, but yet they're still running full speed to the cross, those are the people that we want to follow, right? We look at those people and we say, they've got something I want. That cross that they're running to, it must be great. There must be something in us. It encourages us to run with them to the cross. We have to ask, is the way we experience trouble and challenge, is it encouraging others to cling to the cross? Paul looked at Timothy in full confidence and was able to say, cling to the cross. Follow me to the cross. The gospel has great hope and power. I've experienced this. I know the power in this. I so desperately want you to experience the same power and the same presence. Saying to someone, follow me as I follow Christ. This may seem arrogant, but brothers and sisters, this is not arrogant. This is loving. We do the same thing in our everyday life. Think about this. If someone said, hey, um, you know of a really good restaurant, uh, you know, I, I want you to come with me. Follow me to this restaurant. I'm going to show you the best thing on the menu. Uh, and I'm going to show you how to have the best experience at this restaurant. What are you going to do? Uh, you're going to follow them to the restaurant. Now, me and Kelly, we have uh, something similar to this, except we have a special ice cream, okay? We had to have our special ice cream uh, special ordered into our neighborhood Publix, and you can't just walk into any Publix and get this ice cream. 
Uh, there's only one Publix that I know of that has this ice cream, and it's the Publix next to our house. Um, I am now known at our local Publix as the cookie two-step guy. Why? <laughs> because I have labored tirelessly to make this ice cream easily accessible for mommy and daddy Hovis. Right? It is a Friday night ritual. Kids go to bed, and daddy goes to Publix to get the ice cream, to get the goods. And after tiresome months of making special orders and it not showing up uh, and having to leave and then having to drive eight minutes down the road to Target uh, to get the same ice cream, right? First world problems. uh, I made it my personal agenda to make sure that our ice cream remains at our local Publix. I realized that I had uh, some work to do. Uh, It took much persistence I had to work hard and labor to bypass the stock boy, the cashier, the special order lady, she couldn't get it right, the assistant manager, and even the manager at our local Publix. And then I finally found someone, uh, the most important person at this store, uh, the infamous freezer manager. So why is the uh, freezer manager the most important person at this store? Because he has the relationship with the bluebell man, right? The freezer manager has the relationship. So I sweet talk the freezer manager to sweet talk the bluebell man to ensure that Cookie Two-Step remains at our store. All that to say, if you come to my house and say, hey, I want some ice cream, uh, and then you proceed to ask, what should we get? I would smile with you in confidence and say, follow me. If you made a suggestion of an ice cream, I would smile, uh, reject it gracefully, and say to you, brother, Just follow me. I, my friend, will lead you to the promised land, right? This would not be arrogant. Believe me, this would be love. And the next thing you know, you too uh, may have a new best friend called the freezer manager at your local Publix. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying to Timothy, I've found the truth, right? God's spirit has worked inside of me. My life has been changed. I know this is God's plan for my life. And I'm confident in it. I've shown you the greatness of, the li- of this life, the beauty of the gospel. I've modeled it for you. And now, you too have experienced the same thing. Now, Timothy is saying, Timothy, model this to others. That's discipleship. It's helping others to find the full glory of Jesus. To know and experience what we have known and experienced. Listen, when we experience the power and the presence of God, when we know something is so great, When our life has been radically changed, we don't withhold it. Rather, we say, come follow me, right? Come with me. I want you to have this same thing. And when we know this in confidence, we can say to people, I've I've been where you were, right? I I know what you're dealing with. I might not know it all. I I I haven't been in the exact situation, but I do know where you can find hope. I know where you can find peace. Brother, come, come follow me to Christ. Well, sister, What I've got, this is really good. Come follow me. We can say to people, I've experienced God's grace and God's kindness and peace. I've been to the well. I've been to the well that only God's mercy is deep enough to draw from. We can say to people in confidence, come follow me to God's well. Come follow me to the well of Christ. We can say to others, the well of God's grace is deep enough for your struggle and hardship. It's deep enough it, it never 
It, ne- it never ends. God's well never ends. Follow me to the well of Christ. Follow me to the source of life. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's not arrogant. That is loving. That's what we're called to do. That's discipleship. We're actually putting on display what God's Word says, and we call others to join us. You know how this happens in real life? Not by handing someone a book. Uh, not by, by going to a coffee shop with someone, but actually living life with them doing things together, right? We need to spend time with people so we can model the word to each other. But you know what else is important? Spending an hour with someone in a coffee shop, um, studying the Bible together, being in God's word together, handing people, people books that help us to see God's word. We need both. Like I said, discipleship is modeling the word and teaching the word. When we follow others, like Timothy followed Paul, we follow the way they live their life, and we also let them teach us God's Word. That leads us to our second point. This one will be quick. We'll read through the text, and then I'm going to put it up on the screen. Um, look, look at verses 14 to 17. It says, As for you, continue what you have learned and affirmatively believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as we just read, without a doubt, God's Word is essential to discipleship. If God's Word is absent in a relationship, that's not discipleship. That's our second point. We follow Jesus by following God's Word. As I just said, uh, this, this, going, this is going to be a little bit shorter. Jason's going to cover kind of part of this a little bit next week. Um, but there are a few things I want to point out here. Uh, Paul said in verse 15, he said, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Real quick, one of the absolute best things we can do for our kids is just to read God's Word to them. Just, just teach them the Bible. Read the Bible to them. Why? Because reading the Bible, he says, makes people wise for salvation. This is not just for kids. This is for everybody. The Bible makes us wise for salvation because everything in the Bible, it points to the cross. Jesus at the cross is the climax of the Bible. Everything in the Bible, it either blazes a trail to the cross or it reflects back to the cross. The entire Bible is the story of God. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins to cleanse us of our sin is what makes the Bible good news. And what's even better than that is that Jesus did not stay hanging on the cross dead. Rather, he was put in a tomb that was guarded by soldiers and then he rose from the dead. Like, he died and then he came back to life. Right, The grave, it could not hold him. And then he ascended into heaven to be with God. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we too can have a relationship with our Creator. Everything in the Bible paves a way to the cross, and Jesus at the cross paved a way for us back to God. In the Bible, it makes us wise for salvation, but it also equips us to live out our salvation. Okay? The Bible makes us wise for salvation, and it equips us to live out our salvation. For those who are exploring Christianity here today. I would say if you're seriously exploring this, asking questions without a doubt, the best thing we can do, the best thing you can do is to read the Bible. And we want to help you with this. 
If you want a Bible to read, we'll give you one for free. Let us show you how to read the Bible. It can, it can feel confusing uh, or daunting. You know, um, Genesis and Exodus, really interesting, kind of cool, a lot of cool stories. Then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? You know, uh, word of advice from a seminary professor, he said, uh, for the book of Leviticus, my uh, advice to, uh, to you, to us, uh, read it, but get in and get out as quickly as possible. Uh, maybe if you're a new believer here, start reading the book, or new, new, if you're exploring Christianity, read the book of John, ask a simple question while you read it, who is Jesus? All that to say, we want to help you uh, read God's Word, because we believe God's Word has great power. This is, this is supernatural spiritual power. Why? Because it's God's voice. It's the primary way in which God speaks to us. Being in God's Word is how we hear from God. That alone should be intriguing to us, or in t- to you, to read it. When we come to God's Word, think about this. The God of the universe that created the world, He created you and me, He spoke to us in the Bible, and it, this is what He... The, the Bible is God's written word. Like He spoke to us, and then he, it wrote it down. That's the Bible. It's how, it's how God speaks to us today. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. The wonder of this, that we, sinful humans, living in a broken world, have access to know, that the, to know what the God of the universe has spoken. God, God did not just create the world and then leave it. No. It seems very clear to me, just by observing the world, that this world, it was made for humans and life, right? Any, you know, just, just think about the world. If it was slightly tilted a little bit more, it would, it, nothing, humans would not be able to live on it. Like, it had to be created by a designer, and it had to be created for humans. And if that is true, if the world was created by an intelligent design, by a designer, for God, by humans, then it's not illogical to believe that the God who created the world would also want to communicate with the humans he created. In God's kindness, he gave us his word, the Bible. This is God's primary way for him to communicate with us, his instruction manual for the world. You know, it's, a, it's an instruction manual, but it's infused with power, right? It changes people's lives. This is not me making a crazy claim. This has been, this has been done over millions of years. This has been by millions of people throughout history, over thousands of years by millions of people. And if that's true, then we should want to be in it. And we should want to, to listen to it and be guided by it and follow it. The entire Bible is for our good. And yes, even Leviticus is for our good. You know, I actually, I actually love the book of Leviticus because it's screaming for the cross. But that's a, that's a completely different day. Um, we'll get to that later maybe. We'll see. Uh, again, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's our point. We follow Jesus by following God's word. The Bible is for our good. It teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. For what? So that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. We could say it this way. God's word equips us for God's mission. So what are we to do then? We get in God's Word. Like we actually read it and obey it and actually live it out. My hope and prayer for New City Church uh, is that we would be people of the Word. That we would long to continually see the depths 
of the voice of God, his written word to us, that we would be amazed by it. And as we close, uh, we've said today that we follow Jesus by following godly examples and by following God's word. But the most important thing in this big idea, in that statement, is that we follow Jesus. God's word points us to our ultimate model to follow. Godly examples should point us to that model to follow. Godly examples should point us to Jesus. If we're following someone and they're not pointing us to Jesus, we're following the wrong person. The same thing is if we're discipling others. We can say to others, follow me to Jesus, but don't look at me. Look to the cross. Look to Christ. If you're a Christian here today, let's seek to make Jesus famous. Not ourselves. Let's point others to Jesus. Let's point others to the cross through our lives and in the world. And if you're not a Christian here today, we pray that you would consider Christ and trust Him today. He's the only model we have to follow that will never fail, that will always be with us. Christ will never leave us or forsake us. Trust Him today. Begin following Jesus today. I I pray that you would. Let's pray. Father, we, we desperately... We desperately need the cross today. Father, we desperately need you to come in. Um, We need to follow you. Father, we need to be uh, godly examples. We need to follow godly examples. We need to be, uh, follow your word. But ultimately, Father, we, we just need to be, we need to follow Christ. Father, we we pray that uh, you would fill this room. Father, we're thankful that you are here with us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.